Welcome to I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're talking about the possibility of achieving net zero, and joining me to chat this one through, we have Bradley Donington, AIH, Alex Henskins, MIH, and industry titan Danny Peccarelli, FIH. As always, a huge thank you to all three of them for giving up their time and opinion. Don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just reach out to me directly on the email in the show notes, but for now, let's go and learn if net zero is even possible. Hello and welcome to the next episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today, we're going to look into the idea of net zero and whether it's actually possible. And to help me do that, I'm once again, of course, joined by three more wonderful humans from within the IOH membership who have all very kindly given up their time to chat to me today. So first up, from within the fellowship, we have the legend that is Danny Piccarelli. I think I always say that about you, Danny, and I'm I don't know whether I should apologise or just let's just run with it. You are a legend. I please please apologise. You can't see me, but I'm blushing. But thank you for that. <laughs> How are you? I'm really good. Really good. Looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, good. Well, that definitely sounds like it'd be better than the last conversation you've just come out of. <laughs> yeah, for for the listeners, you maybe need to explain. I've just come out of a tax meeting, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, hopefully we'll make it a little bit more interesting than that. Although, uh, you know, there's a time and a place to talk about tax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's new in the world of exclusive? Oh, we're, we're doing well. We're on a roll. We had uh, one of our chaps just won uh, professional MasterChef. So we're all very Indeed. excited. And uh, yeah, it's uh, he managed to crash the website on Friday night, which is, is quite a handy thing to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, your uh, your bookings, I would imagine, will will there'll be a little bit of interest in that. Well, he's he's done a residency at South Lodge, then at Lainston. So um, uh, those two properties have just gone bonkers. I mean, it's amazing the power of TV nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think helped by the fact that he completely smashed the journey all the way through. Yeah, he was definitely, and and it's such a lovely story because his parents work with us and uh, met met working with us 27 years ago so uh, yeah we, we've seen him literally uh, uh from con- well not quite from conception but you know what i mean all the, yeah. way, all the, all the way through to uh to uh winning on friday yeah fantastic well that's that's absolutely wonderful and you know that as i think marcus Waring said in in when they had them all three at the end said something along the lines of, you know, you guys are uh, an absolute, you, you're wonderful advocates for this industry. Uh, and that's what we need. We need people who are, are here to elevate. Uh, thank you. Brilliant. Um, and next up from within the MIH ranks, we have Alexander Henskins, the hotel manager at the quite magnificent Royal Lancaster in London. Good morning, Hi, Alex. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, How are you? All is well. All is well. We're having a, um, yeah, it's a great time for us at the moment. Um, and I'm delighted to be here. Good, good, good. I, I love hearing about great times. It's good that in, in the doom and gloom that exists everywhere across the news, you've got to go out there and make your own positivity, haven't you? Yeah, just ignore the news. All is well. Yeah, good stuff. And yeah, well, tell us a little bit about the, the Royal Lancaster for, for those who, who are unaware. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're, we're a major events hotel in, in, in central London. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we're we're generally host a lot of the awards dinners um, and, and many conferences, um, and I mean we're having a very busy season. Um, at the same time, we've um, been very focused in the last two years in terms of our sustainability. Have put a lot of 
actions in place. And uh, we're proud to say we've recently got our Earthcheck Silver certification. So uh, this podcast has actually come at a quite a good time. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, that might come up as a relevant subject to explore when we get into the fullness of the, the discussion. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. And then finally, from within the AIH members, we have Bradley Dorrington, who is the owner of The Wine Cellar in Bury St. Edmunds. Yeah, good morning, Phil. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I'm, I'm from Bury St. Edmunds and no, not so sunny Suffolk at the moment, but we, we had a good summer. Yeah, so we're a, we're a small little independent wine bar in, in the heart of Bury St. Edmunds. We, we've got 110 wines on our list. We do over 80 by the glass at the moment, and that's only increasing. Uh, and we only started off last August. We're, we've had nearly 20,000 people through the door now in that time. And yeah, it's going kind of from wow. strength to strength at the minute. So yeah, really, really good fun. Yeah, that's brilliant. And how did you get into that? Uh, I kind of, uh, I, funnily enough, when I was in a sixth form in my later education, I was doing double mass physics and chemistry at A level when I was going into engineering and uh, decided that it wasn't quite for me anymore. And I was working in my local pub and decided to pursue a career in hospitality. Um, 10 years later, after doing various different things, different hotels up and down the country, restaurants, bars, kind of found my love was in wine and decided to, you know, give it, give it a good go and found some people that wanted to come on board with me and kind of almost be my partners and investors in the project. And yeah, it's kind of the best thing I've ever done really, to be honest. Yeah. Great stuff. And well, and I suppose this is a very relevant subject as a business owner as well, because you know, it, it's, it's, well, it's a subject on quite a lot of people's lips, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important that, you know, we'll get into the discussion, obviously, but it's something that we should all be thinking about proactively. Um, but also, I think there's got to be a realistic side of it. You know, there's only so much that as an individual we can do. And as a business, there's more we can do. But if everyone's doing their part, then it makes that a lot easier for everyone, I think. Yeah, thanks very much. You've just summarised the discussion. I think we can call it a day. <laughs> No, that's great. Well, uh, before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you all uh, very quickly why you said I'm into the IOH. Uh, Danny, you're no stranger to this podcast, of course. You've been on before. Uh, and in fact, we'll hear you again in the new year because you and I uh, did a live recording at the Hotel and Resort Tech Expo earlier in the year. Uh, that will be released in January. Uh, but yeah, what's, I mean, I, I'm guessing not much has changed, but why did you say I'm into the IOH? I, I just love the educational um, element of it. And this is a great example of, of that educational element. Brilliant. Nicely summarised. Yeah, well, yeah, as in you mean the, the podcast, doing doing podcast discussions. Well, just listening. So as, as a, a, a member of the IOH, I can, it's a resource for all of my team to educate themselves in so many areas. The podcast being the best bit, of course. Of course, of course. I mean, that goes without saying, doesn't it? But I, actually, I, I take your point because even as the host of this, uh, you know, and I get the, the, the fortune to talk about all manner of things, some of which I know some stuff about and some of which I know nothing about. Um, so even even I, who hosts, I get to be educated with every discussion that I have. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Same question to you, Alex. Um, why did you say I'm in? I mean, it's 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 about the, the the sharing of information, really. You know, we we all we all face the same challenges or similar challenges, um, and I think the more we talk about it, um, the more we can work together, collaborate, and and come to mutual solutions. Um, so, it, just like Danny, I listen to the podcast on a regular basis. It's a great source of information, uh, and it's also nice to give something back. Fantastic. So we found the two listeners. Actually, the uh, the podcast. Um, <laughs> excellent. No, that's great. And then uh, same back to you, Bradley. Uh, why did you say I'm in? 
It was funny. I was at a dinner in March, um, the Disciples of Escoffier dinner, and I was actually sitting on the on the table with um, Robert Richardson, and he kind of got chatting to him about it. And I've always had sorry about that. <laughs> it was a really good evening, actually. It was great fun. But yeah, I kind of I'd heard bits and pieces about it, but maybe I hadn't hadn't quite opened my eyes up to it fully. And then kind of after the dinner, I was on the way back, and I was looking at it all online. I was like, you know what? I want to be a part of this, and I want I want to get involved in in this. For much like Alex just said, you know that the collaboration I think the industry's really changed I think it's gone away from being oh we're all in competition with each other and we want to be beating the best restaurant around the corner I think we're now looking at the industry as no we're a collective group of people that are all trying to provide the best service or um you know whatever it may be possible to the wealth of guests that are around us so if we can all work together and achieve great things then it only benefits everyone involved I think yeah 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 I mean we're, we're not at war with each other are we we've got there's enough battles to fight uh, out there without fighting against each other. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Great stuff. Okay, well, uh, thanks so much for joining on this today, guys. Uh, we we'll, might as well get stuck into it. Uh, so as I said at the beginning, this is all about exploring whether net zero is even possible. And I've taken an opening statement today from COP28, which is I think is still currently going on. I think it, it, it finishes at the end of this week. Is that right? Have I got that right? Uh, anyway, that's irrelevant. Uh, but I, I thought it was actually a really wonderful way of summing up the, the challenge that's in front of us. And this is from Kenya President William Ruto. Climate change does not respect artificial distinctions, traditional boundaries or old antagonisms. Instead, it should unite us against a shared borderless challenge. And I thought it was, a, it was just a wonderful way to kind of, I suppose, put it front and centre into people's minds that this is something that we're all responsible for. So I'm going to ask a very open question to kick things off. And that is very simply, anybody feel free to jump in. What do you understand net zero to be? Um, my my understanding is standing here is emissions of carbon dioxide and removals are in balance, basically. So it's what, as a globally, we're putting in in terms of carbon dioxide, other other gases as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and then the removals of those gases are completely imbalanced. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a great way to summarise. That's probably what Wikipedia would say. It is, to to be honest. So then, I, the the big question, which we'll now explore, I suppose, is. Given the kind of the the magnitude of the various different industries, all of the different things that go on in the world, all of the dif- different challenges that territories have, et cetera, et cetera, is it even possible to achieve net zero? I, th- I think it's I think it's possible to believe that we can. I think the reality of that is a very different conversation because there's so many different avenues that not only as an industry but as a you know as a country as uh, over many industries i think to try and get everyone's ducks in a row is is hard enough as it is i don't think it's i don't think it's easily achievable let's put it that way yeah but i suppose then the the nothing worth doing is generally easy is it that's the um oh no absolutely uh, you know i think i think it's i think it's a really important thing and i think actually now as a as, as a generational group of people coming into the industry now i think a lot more people are more conscious of it and more aware of what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing to help the future let's say 
Yeah, absolutely. Alex, any any thoughts on on that question? Is- I mean, it's 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 definitely challenging, but it it certainly is feasible. Um, and and when we know we have to achieve it, and we know that if we don't, it's going to be taken out of our hands soon anyway. So it's just a matter of time before the government will start charging us for our carbon credits, which means that now our mission is between now and then is to minimize our our output as much as we can um, in order to avoid paying huge fines later down the track. Um, We don't know yet when, we don't know how much, um, but we don't know that it will be costly. So in the meantime, we just need to do everything we can to minimize that. Yeah, I totally. I, you know, I hadn't even thought of the fact that there, there down the line could be some intervention to, uh, I suppose, force everybody's hands on this a little bit more. It's not, it's not far away. I think that they're starting. I think in in January. I mean, uh, in in Switzerland, uh, they're, they're starting already uh, with different industries. Yeah. So yeah, the government haven't said when, but it's definitely coming. And and when it does, it can you know depending on how much your 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 output is, you know it, it will be in the tens to hundreds of thousands for for different organizations annually. Well, I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, that part of the the the, the overriding message is, is that obviously you you cannot control what so many other parts of the world do. You can only kind of really control what you do either personally or in your own business or, or whatever that looks like. So let's focus, I suppose, from the hospitality perspective. How can we even measure our emissions from from a hospitality business's perspective? How do we even go about doing that? And probably I'll come to you with this, Danny, because this is absolutely, I think this is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a a this subject is hugely hugely complex, and and I think bef- before we start talking about measurement, it's also important to say, whilst carbon is clearly the the, the headline act, a it also includes uh, methane, nitrous oxide, fluorinated gases. So that's you know farming. Um, is definitely methane, nitrous oxide, fluorinated gases, is air, aircon, refrigeration. So all of those touch our industry and they're all part of it. I think the previous point that's been made is we need to control our own, you know, we are, if we're businesses with a purpose, we can definitely control our own outputs. In, in terms of measurement, we partner with our energy provider helps us input all of our scope ones and twos. The scope ones and twos are basically what we control on our property. So that is the uh, the fuels that we're actually burning, which makes up the biggest part. There's also transportation. But if you just focus on the fuels and then the, the legislation piece, which is starting to come in now for medium to big companies is you have to report your location-based carbon intensity and your market-based carbon intensity and the difference between those two is location-based is basically the fuels that you are burning and each fuel has a different carbon imprint but the market-based is uh, so for example I measure my electricity but I get credit in my market-based carbon intensity is lower because I'm buying from guaranteed sustainable renewable sources. So my electricity is effectively coming from solar, wind farms, tidal, all all of the good stuff. So you can 
really record it in a, in a very simple way. It's your utility consumptions and it's then what type of utilities are you consuming and that gives you a carbon output. I mean, that's a very broad brush approach, but it's doable and it's being done by a lot of companies. And to the point earlier, there's then going to become uh, uh, a whole load of legislation around that area. Yeah, I mean, God, every day is a school day. I didn't even contemplate. I mean, you said did say earlier on uh, around the fact that we might talk about other gases. Um, I feel like you've been itching to talk about the gases, Danny. Um, I, I, I'm full of full of hot air. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, uh, these are all part of the, the, I suppose, the same jigsaw puzzle that we have to to solve. Um, and and, and, it, and is, it is a jigsaw puzzle and 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 30 percent of the world's carbon comes from food and drink so everyone talks about food but food and drink 30 percent of the world's carbon and everyone on this podcast deals with food and drink yeah absolutely and how did how is that even measurable then from the perspective of you know your supply chain within that and feel free for anybody to jump in this i don't i don't want danny to be the the dominant force here as it were but um yeah how do you how do you ensure that that they're playing ball as well? Uh, yeah, I mean that that in itself is actually the most challenging um, element of it. You know, there, there there's only so much you can do yourself on property level with reducing your energy, reducing your wastage, recycling. Like you said, a lot of it is in the supply chain. So the 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 key thing is to keep them involved. Yeah, to make them aware of what you're trying to do. I was actually having a chat with with Sue Williams, uh, formerly from the Watley Manor, recently, and she mentioned that she held a a supplier uh, day where she brought everyone in to share the vision in terms of her, her aspirations for net zero to get them on board and that the people that didn't show up to that day, she knew immediately where she stood with them. And then those ones that were there to get them to make commitments to it as well in terms of reducing their uh, their carbon footprint, which I thought was actually quite uh, quite genius. Um, and I, I'd like to do the same thing over here. Yeah. Well, why not, right? I mean, it's a great way. It's good to talk at the end of the day. It's the... the if. Uh, I think Danny's words were, if you're a business with purpose, then you want to bring other businesses into your network of con- conducting business, really, that uh, that have the same kind of shared vision uh, on a global perspective. Yeah, 100%. And just to come back to, to, to kind of your, your previous question, you know, I, I do think that, that there's only so much you can do by yourself. Um, and, and, you know, like I wholly advocate the partnering with a some kind of, you know, institution, whether it be B Corp or Greenkey or in our, in our case, Earthcheck. Yeah, we, we populated um, a massive document with everything that we do, everything that we output. And, and it's actually with Earthcheck's support that I'm now able to confidently say what is our co2 output which has given us now a roadmap for the next few years on how to actually make those reductions uh, whereas without that structure we wouldn't have been able to to quantify it as much as we have and i think that's the starting point to know where you are to then drive improvements yeah totally i, I mean that is that's how you are able to stride forward then isn't it when you know what you're dealing with right here and right now Bradley, from a, a small business perspective, um, because I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that, uh, that both Danny and Alex are in, I suppose, bigger organizations than you are, and you're, as the owner yourself, how how difficult is it to put this front and center when, you know, as a small business, there's so many other just kind of day-to-day stuff that you've just got to get your head around and, and solve? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's all down to clarity and dealing with uh, all of our suppliers. I mean, we, we use eight or nine different wine suppliers and, and kind of before I decide to go ahead with anyone, I always kind of look into them, look into their public statements and what they've said that they're doing to achieve, you know, kind of net zero or um, reducing their emissions, certainly. And I think in the wine industry, it's a hell of a lot harder as well, um, being that we're shipping massive pallets of very heavy glass bottles around the world um which doesn't necessarily help so i think that's one thing that i do genuinely think will change certainly maybe in the next 10 years i think we're going to see the uh, i don't know the answer i don't know what the difference will be but i think there's certainly got to be a better solution to chunky glass bottles and i'm not talking about all wine i think like wine that's due to be drunk now i you know made this vintage and drinking it in the next year or so i think there'll, there'll be different solutions on packaging um uh, whereas wine that's due to you know be put down aged etc i think that that will stay in bottle but i think that will help massively in terms of the supply chain um but in terms of our individual what, what we do in our business is it's just on the day-to-day we kind of make sure we're recycling everything correctly where we can and trying to limit wastage and there's there's a magnitude of smaller things that we do um but i I think it's trickier in terms of there's no easy way to categorically measure what our inputs and outputs are i mean we can we can virtually work out what we're what we're doing and, and what we're doing to 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 reduce our footprint but it's it's not as simple as some might expect let's say right yeah. So then I suppose that leads to a wider question really about the, the challenges faced. We've we've mentioned a couple already, but what other challenges are, are there out there in terms of us being able to uh, achieve this? I mean, I think that there, there's that there's a certain element of short ter- short termism. Yeah, about the way we operate. You yeah. know, again, it's it's you got to invest now in order to reap the rewards of it in the future. Um, so, I mean, for example, when it comes to your energy consumption, there there are things you can do with your plant, um, and none of it is cheap. You know, I mean, we're looking at installing solar panels here at the Royal Lancaster now. You know, it's minimum one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand pounds, and you know, the ROI may be between five to ten years, give or take. But you know, not all the not all owners have that kind of those kind of funds available, um, even if mm-hmm. it will make money, save money in the future. But I think it's the 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 ability. One of the big challenges is the ability to make funds available. You have to drive investments that will ultimately reduce your 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 consumption. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose that's a that's a massive point. I mean, the, the uh, this has got to come from the very top down, hasn't it? Really, you know, if, if as you say, if you don't have an, an ownership structure that is focused on that long term vision, then this is very difficult to achieve. I would imagine because you can't, you, you know, you, as you say, you're, they're just focused on the short term gain as opposed to the the long term plan. Yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think for for me the other the other thing that's very apparent is that you know whilst every hotel operator knows about you know set standards such as AA, LQA, um, you name it, there isn't such a set of standards when it comes to sustainability. There isn't a best practice document or a one single guide that we can refer to saying this is what you do. Check check these boxes. Um, I think we're all still learning as we as we go along, um, and I think that is also causing us to delay. Hence another reason why podcasts like these are a great thing. Here, here, another shout out. That'll do it. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, but I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's such a moving piece as well, isn't it? Because, you know, maybe 10 years ago, we weren't talking about this kind of stuff in in the 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 main public domain. Maybe some people, visionaries, were talking about it behind the scenes. 
but it wasn't something that was out and about and, and really being fully discussed what it is now. And with that comes, I suppose, more innovation in response to the challenges that keep presenting themselves. So it's important we keep talking about it and it's important that people keep acting on the words that are said so that more innovation, I suppose, can can continue to flourish. I think I think as well it's something that's starting to come through from an educational level as well. I mean, there's something else that I do is on, on top of everything else is I'm a governor at a, a college in Cambridge and we're starting to see a real emphasis on green skills that are being imparted into our learners. Um, we've just bought two electric cars for the motor vehicle department, for example. The, the plumbing and gas engineers now have to start working on heat pumps, etc. So uh, it, I think over the next kind of five years, as it starts to become more apparent and more in front of everybody, um, I think that a lot of people are going to be kind of, it's going to be more at the forefront of their mind, if you know what I mean. They're kind of um, discussing it more like like the podcast, like things like this as well. It's, it's getting out in front of people and saying, you know, the, the smaller bits all add up to one very big bit that can make a big difference yeah i suppose we, we've we've spoken about the the, the the need to focus on this but the, i suppose the maybe even the bigger question is what happens if we don't well, i think i think the uh, million dollar question uh, yeah it yeah. is a million and, and there's no there's no planet b right <laughs> very good yeah that, that's the end that's the end result if we get this wrong yeah, I think Elon Musk is trying to get to planet B, isn't he? He is, but he'll charge for it, right? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so yeah, that maybe should have kicked off with, with that question. But I suppose then within that, there are still quite large pockets of the world, uh, individuals, countries, whatever, who don't, I suppose, deal with this in the same level of seriousness that we are. So how do we, how do we get through to to those who are, I suppose that the term is climate deniers, right? How do we get through to them? But I, I I think the point is that we can only control what we control. So you mentioned earlier about you know our personal spend, our business spend. You know, if if we're making decisions around our supply chain, if we're spending tens of millions of pounds on food and drink and even you know repair equipment or energy efficient equipment, if we are making better choices around those suppliers and this is where scope three is you know i kind of agree with what's been said it's really difficult and complex and not necessarily um a, a, a linear argument but if we are partnering with like-minded people who are taking the the the, the carbon the transportation the way they look after um, the packaging, they're making all the right decisions, then it becomes a sort of virtuous circle. So I think I think rather than trying to, you know, as individuals or, or tiny companies in the grand scheme of things, all we can do is make better and better decisions and influence our partners and our suppliers to make better decisions. And then it becomes self-fulfilling. So we're not rewarding the guys that are, now, I don't want to mention countries or, or or companies or anything, but if you know there's something bad coming from a country that isn't taking it seriously, we we can make a decision to move our bit of the pie to better companies, better countries, supply chains. Yeah, and I suppose within that as well, ultimately from a a, a purchasing perspective. Consumers often drive trends within any business or within any sector. And in this case, 
I suppose we're the consumers here. So absolutely, and we have quite we have more power as as corporate consumers than we do in our personal life. We can make all sorts of changes in our personal. Although that's I think that's important, but the power that if all of hospitality starts making better decisions and it's a direction of travel where none of us are going to be perfect but if every hospitality business in the uk starts making 50 percent better decisions tomorrow think of the impact that will have mm. yeah absolutely and that, and that feeds out as well doesn't it the, you know then if if we're leading the way then perhaps another business over there said oh that's that's an interesting perspective i'm going to explore that and very very quickly it just becomes the norm as opposed to this, I suppose, what might be in some people's minds, this unachievable thing that happens at the beginning of, of any kind of innovative journey. Yeah. And and it's interesting that the conversation about supplier days earlier, we, we run an annual, uh, inspired by Sue Williams, actually, as, as mentioned, but we run an annual suppliers day. And you're having the dialogue and you know that you are changing behaviours because people are seeing the future as, if I don't change my company then, you know, maybe commercially, I'm going to get a smaller share of the pie. So it's still mm. a commercial debate, but you're driving behavior by demanding better behavior. Yeah, absolutely. How do we then moving that forward into even further into the business and considering the, the guests experience and not just from the guest experience in terms of what you're delivering to them, but maybe their own belief systems as well in terms of how do you how, I don't want to use the word control, uh, but how do you control your guests into kind of your way of thinking? I think it's about transparency and communication here. Um, you know, you make sure you've got a good, um, a good rock solid environmental or CSR policy, whichever way you want to call it, um, and 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 show it to the guests. You know, for example, we we've recently recently partnered with a company called Hotel for Trees, which means that um, it's a little card in the room. If guests refuse service, uh, we will plant a tree on their behalf. Um, and we showcase to the guests how many trees we've planted. I think we've just passed the 1,100, I believe. Um, nice. um, and it's just, it's, but it's little things like that to 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 get them involved on the journey, so to say. I mean, there is obviously, you know, the kind of the, the new, more contentious thing that's starting. Um, and I believe a, a few hotels abroad have trialed this already. I believe there's one one in Holland that I know of um, that is that has starting to charge guests for their carbon consumption. So it's like a surcharge on the bill at the end. I, I'm not sure whether we are quite there just yet uh, in the UK, um, but I think this is also something that's coming down the line where where guests have the option to pay for their carbon offset on top of their hotel room. But yeah, interesting. It's, it's I think the more you share with them, yeah, the the the, the and the better they receive it. Yeah, and I suppose then in, in a circumstance like that, much like you know a, a government levying any kind of tax on your consumption, et cetera, et cetera, you, you're then going to be more considered about how you are consuming things. And by the same token, if by doing that with the guest, I mean, I, I take your point. It remains to be seen whether that's something that would stick in every corner of the globe. But I, I suppose, again, it's it's a, an innovative approach to, to solving the problem. Certainly getting, I suppose, the guests on side with it a little bit and, and making them aware that this is a focus for you. This is a focus for our business. And uh, I suppose if like it, come and enjoy it. Don't like it, then go somewhere else. Yeah. And not just that, but a lot of guests are increasingly 
asking for it. You know, when we do any kind of corporate contracts, uh, one of the, the RFPs, one of the requirements often is what is your sustainability um, uh, practices? What is it that you do? Uh, and we have to share that. And and even when I'm hiring s- staff nowadays, in particular the younger generation, you know, I, I always ask them, what made you apply to us? And the amount of times I get the answer back saying, oh, it's because of your, your focus on sustainability and the environment. It's, it's, you know, it's not in the background anymore. It's very much at the forefront. So I think if you don't communicate and you don't have the transparency, you're actually behind the curveball. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that that's you know part of the overarching guest experience. In any case, is good good communication with your guest, and that I suppose that level of transparency and authenticity uh, as well. It's one thing I suppose to to say that you do this, but it's another thing to actually carry it out uh, as well. Otherwise, I think the term's greenwashing, isn't it? When you you put in your marketing that oh look at us, we're you know uh, a business for purpose but then actually there's nothing backing that up yeah green greenwashing was invented in the hotel industry it was actually when a company uh, started putting out about towels and you know leave the towels we won't service them unless you leave them in the bath because we're trying to reduce our carbon emissions and um, uh, a scientist proved that that was actually not necessarily the case so uh, hospitality's got a lot to answer for uh, <laughs> name me the term greenwashing Right there we are. God, this is this is an educational podcast. I, I did not know that that's where that came from, but there we go. Alex, you've mentioned actually a couple of times uh, things that you've seen from overseas. This has got to be part of the solution as well, though, isn't it? Is is some kind of international collaboration in some way? I, I've no idea how that happens or how these things even get through, other than through our own personal networks. But but what could we do to improve? international collaboration on this i mean i think it's like danny said earlier i think the change starts with ourselves yeah and and we need to do what we can yeah and 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 do everything we can to be the market leaders um you know i have to admit you know i do look up to the the big companies you know i believe that the big international organizations out there you know the hyatts of the world the marriott's of this world you know with their reach uh, and strength in depth yeah, um, you know, there's part of an, not an expectation, but but a, a hope that you know they will lead the way and and share these kind of best practices um, and then be part of the solution. I know, obviously, Marriott does a lot of good things already, but I mean, yeah, I, I believe part of the solution um, lies in there as well. I kind of completely agree with that. The, the the businesses that already have an international stage surely should have the front foot in forming the the change within the industry you know not 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 in terms of pushing everyone else to do it but in terms that, that you know they've already got reach in most countries across the world um you know so if, if they can help influence their local economies as well then it's all for the better isn't it yeah and and danny from your perspective because you know from a uk perspective you you've definitely been on the front foot with this stuff for for quite some time was that was that your own personal drive or was that something that came from, I suppose, being open and transparent with your teams and, and, and getting them to, I suppose, start discussing this point? I think it's both. Um, There's the, the points we made earlier. You know, the, the, the teams are more engaged. The customers, once again, a point was made earlier, the corporate customers particularly have to show diligence in their supply chain. And as hotels or you know, selling wine, we're part of that that supply chain. So I think it's coming from all angles and our, our customers are global as well. So there is there is a little bit of an overlap. I, I just, 
yeah it's not in fact it's not linear it's coming from everywhere and everybody can influence and it's those incremental gains that i think we've just got to keep pushing for yeah we keep doing that then we look back in five years and inevitably look at how far we've come that's got to be the 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 driver i suppose yeah so anybody who's listening to this uh, at the moment who's who wants to get on board but doesn't really know where to start what would be some of your kind of short-term things that people can just get stuck into to get on this net zero journey? I'd say measurement, personally. If you start measuring it, then you can do something about it. And even if you're just measuring utility consumption, which you probably should be doing anyway because it's a business priority, but measure. And then there are people out there that can help you turn that into carbon i would say a top-down bottom-up approach engage the team we've had some amazing uh, initiatives from our from our teams because they want to be engaged in this and education to me is always that there's amazing books amazing podcasts amazing everything out there but keep educating yourself especially around the nuances of it because i go back to it isn't linear it's very complex but take out the, the if you're setting a direction of travel and but validating that you're doing the right thing, because if you're carbon offsetting in a dodgy carbon offset in a strange part of the world that isn't validated, you might be doing more harm than good. So measurement, education and triple check in that the education and the numbers are are what you think they are. Brilliant. Yeah. Bradley or Alex, anything to add into to that from what you from your own experiences? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, it's partner up with somebody yeah, that can help provide structure. You know, like, uh, you know, I've mentioned a few times now, but EarthCheck has been instrumental for us. Yeah, um, definitely have a task force, a sustainability team, give the power to the people. Yeah. And, and because, you know, make and, and just chomp off one little bit at a time you know saying this month you focus on your paper next month you focus on your waste the month after that you focus on on, on your lights um it's it's little steps that all together will create a huge impact at the end and and that, like danny said make sure you know what your ground zero is what is your your base point in terms of your measurements so you can actually track your improvements yeah absolutely and bradley from a, a smaller business's perspective anything further to add into that I think it was really well encapsulated, to be honest. I'm not sure I have much to add. It, it, just kind of looping back to what Danny said about education, it, it's just so important to to do the kind of research and, and look into the what what is actually um, achievable for you in your own circumstances and be realistic about it as well. You know, like you can't be, we can't just wake up one day and go, oh yeah, I listened to the podcast and now I want to go, and, I want to be net zero. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, exactly, mm-hmm. just, just like Alex just said, it's, it's all the small small parts of the puzzle that link in to make the bigger picture yeah but i think the key point is just start right i mean just get going with this um and that you know it's like if you're uh you're looking to go on a a health kick and maybe it's december and you think i'll just wait until january actually no just do it now because you'll get you'll get actually more benefits by indulging through december and having a health kick same principle here you know don't wait don't kick the the can down the road um it only get become a bigger problem the longer you leave it my my annual gym membership starts on the 2nd of january and finishes in april that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there relating with yeah. you uh, right now, Alex. <laughs> no, that's great. Right. Um, I, I suppose a, a big question just to finish with to, to all of you, and I'll, I'll kind of come to you each in turn with this one. But what would be your elevator pitch to someone who doesn't believe sustainability or the quest for net zero is needed or necessary? And I'll start with you, Danny. I, I would say just look around you. I mean, there is undoubtedly huge changes happening to the planet just because we haven't been paying attention so uh read read the room and uh, if we if we don't act quickly um there might not be a room to read yeah very good uh alex what would be your elevator pitch yeah, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think if anybody doesn't see the writing on the wall, um, I don't know where they've been hiding. Um, you know, it's it's for us, it's for the planet. Yeah, it's for the future for our kids, and and even in a not so long term, it's 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 for the prosperity of our business as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Bradley, again, completely agree with, with both Danny and Alex. I think you just kind of have to shake them and go open the eyes you know where are you I, ironically i wouldn't want to say if you've been hiding under some kind of big block of ice in antarctica that's now melting to come out of it um but uh, yeah i mean you know you've got you've got to be able to see what's happening around you to one again for, for for your personal benefit your family your future generations but also for your business and viability i think it's so important yeah absolutely i mean i suppose at the end of the day we're always going to be battling belief systems within individuals and companies and what they believe to be right and wrong but i think the the as danny says the the reading of the room right now for sure says that we all need to be doing something uh, and whether that starts well it does start in your own home it doesn't even start at work you know you've just got to be doing your bit and all of the little bits just add up into one massive bit then don't they and at least we can then take some steps forward are there any points that we're leaving out there gents anybody got anything burning that they really want to get off a chest I, I i would say to not just focus on carbon although net zero or net net positive is really important there's other factors so we you know we sequester we're lucky enough to have just under 700 acres of land and and we're, we're planting lots of trees but I, I could plant a monoculture of pines and sequester more carbon, but biodiversity is also as important. So I, I, I key using expression isn't linear. And if so carbon is a key measurement, but the, the impact you can have by looking wider than carbon, and you can do both at the same time. So for example, we will plant hedgerows, which will sequester less carbon and but it's still a part carbon positive impact and we, we will be carbon positive on scope one and two by 27 but i'm also looking at biodiversity as just one example of the innate conflict in all of these decisions yeah i suppose that's that's the thing everything has a, a an equal and opposite reaction right so absolutely um, you've got to be mindful of anything that you implement has got to, you've got to really see that through and what's the, what's going to be the, the outcome of this if we implement this, as you say, not from a linear perspective, but actually from all angles. Yeah. Uh, Alex, Bradley, any, anything to close with that's eating you up inside? Um, no, no, I, I feel like I've shared everything that was on my mind. So nothing else to add. Thank you. Very good. Bradley? 
I, yeah, I agree. I think it was a really good kind of rounded discussion from various different viewpoints that you know hopefully will help people out there listening. Yeah, indeed. And I think, you know, uh, this panel, I think, wholeheartedly does believe that net zero is possible. I think there's other things to consider in in the whole argument as well. But, you know, I think the key takeaway for me was absolutely look after your own house, you know, and, and do the best you can with what you've got, but actually just get started on it if you've not already. Um, and if you are started, then continue to look for further innovations. And then, as I, I said earlier on, we'll look back in five, 10 years and go, wow, haven't we come a long way? Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and input today. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a moving piece. We could have the same chat in five years' time and it would be completely different. We probably will do that. Uh, and um, But yeah, I wish you all the very best with your, your net zero journeys uh, and indeed uh, going into 2024 and beyond. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care. Cheers. I mean... Today's episode of I'm In covered the possibility of achieving net zero and featured Bradley Donerton AIH, Alex Henskins MIH, Danny Peccarelli FIH and hosted by me, Phil Street FIH. A huge thank you goes to the IOH's very own Sonia Cresswell MIH for artwork and branding and Leon Williams FIH for the music. To say I'm in and feature on a future episode, contact phil.street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family, please click the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and join us next time where we'll be airing one of our special live recordings from the Hotel and Tech Expo 2023.